Good morning, family. It's wonderful. Spring is in the air. I've been saying it for a while, but now it's really true. It's really happening. It's wonderful to be together this morning. And um, it was funny for me, as I came walking down the stairs, I looked up, there was nobody in the auditorium. It was like, what happened? And then I saw everybody was in the front. So uh, it's good to be with you this morning. And uh, it's been wonderful over this past week just to hear many testimonies of people after last week when we spoke about the, pr- the law of the first fruits and about tithing and to hear so many stories of people that have just trusted the Lord in this week and to hear how God has come through for people and immediately some people had financial breakthroughs and we want to continue to trust the Lord for His faithfulness to us and that even though these are tough times, God is faithful. Do we keep our eyes on the empty fig tree? Or do we put our, God on, our eyes on a faithful God? Can we, I just feel that we must just pray together and just, just come before our Father again to this morning in this sense. Lord, I thank you for every one of us that has the amazing privilege to be your children. To have a Father that says, I am your provider. That says, Lord, that you will take care of our every need. And I want to pray for every person here this morning. Every family, every individual. You know every situation. You know every challenge that may be faced by a person or by a family. We just present them to you today and we say, Lord, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. May they experience your faithfulness in this time. We know you are faithful. And we pray for your faithfulness to be shown and to be experienced by your people in this time in Jesus' name. Bless this time around your word as we share together also we pray. Amen. So last week, if you didn't hear the message, I'd encourage you to get it online, and uh, there's on SoundCloud, or you can get it on YouTube, and listen to the message as we spoke about tithing and the principles of first fruits. And today, I want to carry on talking about money a little bit, if that's okay. Now, some of you go, oh, no, not again. Um, But I want to talk about the other side of the coin today, literally, the other side of the coin. Did you get? Okay. Took me all night to figure out that little clever phrase, and didn't work at all. So... um, uh, <laughs> and I know last week I just want to correct something. At some stage I spoke about how the, the, the law of the Lord in the new covenant is written on the tablets, or the, not on the stone of tablets. That's what I said last week. It's supposed to be the tablets of stone. So forgive me for that. Somebody corrected me. I appreciate that. <laughs> but today I want to talk about just some of the biblical principles in terms of our finances, some of the other biblical principles and the disciplines. Because I think when it comes to our finances, there's, there's almost two sides to it. There's the side that we spoke about last week, which is our, our giving, our, our putting the Lord first in our finances and how we do that. And then there's also the side of how do we live financially to live financially well and to live responsibly and to do things the way God wants us to do it. If you remember in Proverbs 24, verse 3, there was this verse, we spoke about it last year as we did our series on on Proverbs, Wisdom for Life. Uh, There was this verse, a house is built by wisdom and becomes strong through good sense. Through knowledge, its rooms are filled with all sorts of precious riches and valuables. A house is built by wisdom and becomes strong through good sense. When it comes to our finances, there's some good sense things that we also need to do. It's, it's not just, hey, we give our money to the Lord and we trust the Lord, but we also have a side that we partner with the Lord in this and how we practice good sense. And there's particularly three things that I want to talk about today around money. Now, whenever we talk about money in church, it's a delicate thing. It's, a, it's sometimes a, a very difficult thing to do because there's a very fine balance 
that you have to achieve when you talk about money in church. On the one side, we want people to know that God is a provider, that God is, is faithful and, and, he, and He loves blessing us and that He, he spoils His children and that He's generous. And, and we, want to, we want people to tap into that and how do we let that be our experience? But on the other side, we also want to communicate a message that says God loves the poor and the rich. If, if you don't get the balance right, you can easily step into territory that, that I think the people that, you know, that we would call the prosperity gospel got themselves in trouble because they, they literally came to a place where it was almost being said, or it was being said that if you're rich, you are blessed by God. If you're poor, then you are cursed by God. Now, how many of you know that that's not true? That's not what the Bible teaches us. God loves the poor. God is faithful to the poor. God has a heart for the poor. And and you can be rich, but actually be poor. Because at the end of the day, poverty is first of all, not a condition of the wallet or the bank balance. It's a condition of the heart. And you can have as much money as you want, but you can be very poor of the heart. You can be as poor as anything in financially, but be very wealthy in the heart. And we don't want to be a community that says, you know, that elevates the rich and, and looks down upon the poor. And, and we get that balance incorrect. I love the fact that in our communities, in, in, in the churches that, 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 you know, here and at the South Church, they're poor people that are in leadership that can say, you know, they, I, I know of people that are homeless, that, that live, you know, some, and they lead us in the church that can have something to say. I have value. I have meaning. God has, through my life, can speak, and, and people can learn things from me, even though I may not have what others may have. Because it's not about the condition of our wallets. It's about the condition of our hearts. And I want to frame that and make sure that when we talk about these things, we understand that, first of all, that, that our money and why it's important, why it gets taught, spoken about so much in the Scripture is often a, 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 a window into what our hearts are like. And from that perspective, it's important. And from that perspective, I want to make sure that I'm living my life and with my, my finances, I'm living it in a way that honors God and that reveals who God is. Whether I have or don't have is not the issue. It is how, what is the condition of my heart and how do I display that? And I think that we, and I hope that in some way today I can thread that line and, and be able to, to speak into the, that from a proper base and from a proper place. In order for us to have good financial well-being, let me use that term, to have financial well-being, which begins as a spiritual reality, not as a material reality, there's one thing that we cannot ignore, and that is this little word that we don't often very like, and it's the word discipline. Discipline. In Hebrews 12, verse 5 to 6 and 11 to 13, the writer of the Hebrews it, it reminds us of this general principle. And he says the following, And have you forgotten the encouraging words God spoke to you? As his children, he said, My child, don't make light of the Lord's discipline, and don't give up when he corrects you. For the, Lord's discipline, for the Lord disciplines those he loves, and he punishes each one he accepts as his child. No discipline is enjoyable while it's happening. It's painful. But afterward, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. So take a new grip with your tired hands and strengthen your weak knees. Mark out a straight path for you, for your feet, so that those who are weak and lame will not fall but become strong. 
God's heart for us is that in every area of our lives, we know what is the right way to live and how to live our lives, and that we have the right disciplines in our lives in every area of our life so that we can be strong and so that we can prosper in Him and move forward and come into that which He has for us. And it's, it's also true of our financial lives. Our disciplines is such an important part of us moving forward and having well-being. Now, in this scripture, he talks about discipline and punishment. I don't want to talk about the punishment part so much, but focus on the discipline part. And, and to say, you know, that even in tough times, in times when we, we perhaps feel the pinch, even those may be times where the Lord's saying, let, let me just remind you of some of the disciplines. Let me, perhaps you got yourself in some trouble financially, and you're feeling it, and, and some of it's not external. Perhaps sometimes it's our own decisions that got us into trouble, and because we've, we've We've not kept with the disciplines. We didn't keep with the principles. And, and sometimes the Lord you know, wants to come and remind us of those disciplines. And it's so important that we allow Him. I think of John 15, which is not a scripture about money, when Jesus speaks to the disciples and He talks about the principle of pruning. And He says, you know, there will come times that if you're bearing fruit, if you're doing well, God will prune you so that you can even do better, so that you may bear more fruit. And there's times when God comes and He just, he just prunes a little bit. He, and, and sometimes pruning is He puts a little bit of pressure on you. And it's all because He loves you. It's all because He wants you to do better and to do well and to have well-being in your life. He, he's not an absent father that just says, ah, oh, whatever you want to do, you know, just carry on. He's right there involved with you. And that's part of the reason why our finances are so important to him because he, he deals with us and he walks closely with us so that we may not, so that we may live well. And, and I think of what Jesus said when he said, you know, I've come that you may have life and life in abundance. And for that reason, the father comes close to us and he, and he gives us discipline. And financial disciplines are so important. I think of this poor young girl that was given 14 million rand. How many of you know the story that I'm referring to? I mean, I, I really mean it. That poor girl. I mean, she used to receive 1,400 rand a month as, her, as an allowance for her study. And, and she hadn't had time in her life to develop the disciplines, the skills, the, the character, the, the understanding of what to do with 14 million rand. So the day she went, I don't know if she went to go withdraw money and suddenly there's all these zeros in her account. It threw her for a, it like completely threw her because she didn't have what it takes internally to deal with all this kind of money. So she just went to town, man. I mean, if you let her, she would have bought a town. She just, I mean, 3,000 rand for a hairdo, you know, travel, 700 rand with bottles of whiskey. You know, it was amazing. If you see the list of everything, she treated her friends. It was great. Suddenly she had lots of friends. Every, I mean, she was in everybody's good books. I mean, because she was suddenly enabled to do what her heart wanted to do all along. And that's the challenge with money, isn't it? I'm so glad so often that the Lord doesn't give me what I ask Him for. No matter how many times I've asked for the lotto numbers, He does not give it to me. No, I'm kidding. I don't play the lotto. I, I, think, it's, I think it's just a bad thing all around. But that's the problem. If you, if you suddenly have so much money, it enables your heart to do what your heart wants to do. Sometimes our sin is just limited by the fact that we don't have the resources to do what our heart wants to do. <laughs> and it's God's grace. Hey? 
But if, if suddenly now I get this poor girl, and I'm not looking down on her, I, I, think, it's, it's, I think most of us would have gotten in trouble. Because suddenly you have all these resources. It's the disciplines of the heart that sustain us, that causes us to move forward and to be successful and to have well-being. Therefore, Jesus said words like this in, in Matthew 6, verse 24. He said, no one can serve two masters. For either he will wait, hate one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. You cannot serve God and mammon. Now, the word mammon, as we understand, is an Aramaic word, which essentially means riches, wealth. And uh, it comes from the Assyrians, and which, which comes from the Babylonians. And, and the basic understanding, the, the, the feeling that this word carried in its development was this idea that I don't need God. That's the spirit of mammon. The spirit of mammon says, I will enable you and empower you and strengthen you to the point where you don't need God. Doesn't that remind you of what Satan did in the Garden of Eden? Do you really believe? You know, do you really need God for, for life and for wisdom? And this is the spirit of mammon, that the spirit of mammon which was present in the time of Jesus, which is very much alive and present in our day today. This spirit that wants to move us away from God and away from our need for God. And there's many different ways that, that this can operate and happen, but one of the ways is through money. Money can become a, a, a reality that moves us away from God. Money in itself is not evil. Amen? Otherwise, I have a problem here. I've got some evil in my pocket. <laughs> money in itself is not evil. It's what money represents and how money gets attached to us and what it does for us and what it gives us that can become evil. Basically, in the spirit of mammon, what money was trying to do is to replace God in our lives. And if we allow that same spirit to be within us, we are still struggling and we're trying to serve two masters. And Jesus was very clear on it. You cannot, on the one hand, try and replace God with money, and on the other hand, try and serve God. It's mutually exclusive from one another. So you have to make up your mind. You have to decide which way are you going. Are you going to pursue wealth and riches in this world, or are you going to pursue God? Does that mean we must not have wealth and riches? No, the issue is, where is what does it do in your heart? What is your heart for? You see, I think when we understand that we use money to serve God and His purposes, we're okay and we're moving in the right direction. But when we serve money and we use God, we are getting into big trouble. And that's what happens in the, I'm not talking to the world outside, I'm not talking to unbelievers, I'm talking to Christian people, where we have this reality that we put God first, and we spoke about it last week, we love God, our lives is about God and honoring God, but we need money at the same time. It would be nice if we could say, well, I just love Jesus and I just serve Jesus, I don't need money, because then I deal with that temptation, no problem, but we need money. I have to have money. I have to have money to make life work on this planet. So I have to deal with this reality of money. So how do I use money to serve God? If I don't get that right, I'll fall into the other trap, which is I'll use God to serve money. 
And it can so easily happen in our lives. Therefore, we put God first. And, 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 and again, like I said last week, if you want to read a good book about this, go read Robert Morris's book, The Blessed Life. And just consider the principle of the first fruits and tithe and why do we do that. Jimmy Evans, a senior pastor of Trinity Fellowship Church in Texas, said the following, Mammon promises us things that only God can give. Security, significance, identity, independence, power, and freedom. Mammon tells us that it can insulate us from life's problems and that money is the answer to every situation. That's the spirit of Mammon. Very subtly comes in. Very subtly just creeps into our hearts and says, if, you, if I just had more money, I'd be okay. If I just had more, everything would be fine. Now, God is not against giving us more money. We spoke about it last week. But never to replace Him or to diminish His role in our lives. Every nation on this planet must understand, no matter what their financial system is based on, without God, the nation will fail. It's the truth. Because God is the author of all things. He's the giver of life. And for us to have financial wellness, it begins at that place to understand. Thank God for the money He gives me. Thank God for what I have. Whatever that may be, however little or big that is. I thank God for that. But man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes forth out of the mouth of God. And as a church, that is our chief purpose, isn't it? Our chief purpose is to introduce people to the author of life. We use money to do that. But it's not about money. It's about achieving that purpose. We are not a charity organization, first of all. Do we do charity? Lots. And, and I know the church gets a bad rap. We've got friends. This church has friends in Houston, Texas. I don't know how many of you have been following the situation that happens in Houston with all the floods and everything. And through our network, Dwayne, that was here two weeks ago, in their network, they've got churches that are in those flood zones. We've got other churches that we have relationships with that are in the flood zones, and we've had some con con connections with them. And, you know, and, and just they're telling us about all the amazing things they do to serve and help people. But people are very quick and want to judge the church. And I don't know if you saw the whole furor with Joel Osteen and was the church open? Was it flooded? Was it not flooded? Did they open the church? Did they help people? Didn't they help people? Because people want to talk bad about the church. And sometimes we're in a little bit of a disadvantage as the church. Because not only do we believe in helping and giving and sharing and, you know, doing things financially for people, we also believe in something else that Jesus said. He said, when you give, don't go and stand on the street corner and tell everybody. So let me tell you, there's so much that not only this church, but other churches does in this world that you'll never know about because we believe in that principle. We don't phone the press every time we do go and you go on an outreach or go and give people money. We don't make a big hoo-ha about it. So sometimes you'll think the church does a lot less than what it actually does just because we believe in that principle. We're not trying to impress people. We're not trying to convince people. We're just trying to show love to people. And we use money to do that. But the money is not the message at the end of the day. It supports the message. The message is, that's why Jesus said to his disciples, when you go, don't take extra clothes with you. Don't, just go. You are the message. Now, he also said when somebody asks you for a coat and you have to, give them one. Because why? Why do I give? Because it's part of me showing them the kingdom of God. And it's very important that we do that.
But it's to show the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. And I'll talk about that a little bit later. But in my heart, to get this right, to be able to be people that lives well financially and understands God's principles. I'm going to put three laws before you. And last week I spoke about law, and please understand when I use the word law what I mean. It's three, three life's principles, three things that I hold to and that I've learned over the years, and again, that learned from this family and from experiences in this church. And the first one I want to say, these are disciplines that we have to have in place in our lives if we want to live well financially. Live in a way that honors God. Not have more money, that's not what I'm talking about. But live in a way that honors God. The first law is what I call the law of limits. The law of limits. Now, I wish I could tell you anything different. But probably the first thing we have to understand when it comes to living financially well is that little word in Galatians 5 that is a fruit of the Spirit called self-control. Self-control. It is probably one of the key areas in our lives where our self-control gets tested is how we spend our money. How do we feel about money? How do we get money? And how do we spend the money that we've got? Self-control is a key aspect within that. And man, I'm so glad it's a fruit of the Spirit so every one of us can have it. It's not a personality trait. I know some are better with money than others. Normally it's amazing how God puts husband and wives together. How often the one is better at saving money and the other one is better at <laughs> sowing the money. Let's, let's call it that. I know that's a reality, but at the end of the day, self-control is not a characteristic of a person personality. It's a fruit of the Spirit. So each of us can tap into it. And the Holy Spirit, one of the areas He wants to give you self-control is in how you live with your finances. Now, some of the things that may help you in terms of, and helps me definitely, in terms of financial wellness and self-control is to understand how my emotions are involved with my spending. How many of you know that a lot of the time you spend money because of an emotional need that you have? Nobody. Does nobody here do it? Okay, well, will you please tell that to the advertising industry? Because I don't see many adverts of cars on television or, on the movie or wherever you go on print that puts out for you all the nice specs of the car in black and white print. Every advert that you see plays on your emotions tries to sell you something based on how that something makes you feel. The, I mean, it is amazing to me how they can, I, I don't even want to talk about the things that they sell, which are so bad for you, but they make it sound so wonderful. They make it sound like you, how can you have lived your life without this? Half an hour ago, you didn't know you needed this thing, but now you can't live without it. Why do you think most of this, these shopping networks on televisions are running late at night because that's when people are at their most emotionally vulnerable. And they'll just buy things to feel better. That's why they call it retail therapy or emotional purchases. Our emotions are a very big part of what drives our spending. And we need to have control over our emotions in this sense. Because this is the problem. You buy something and it gives you short-term reward but often longer-term pain. You go buy that car, man, it just feels good. 
And, and you buy that car, and you buy it on one of these guaranteed future value deals. That, sorry for the car salesman. Please forgive me. But you buy it on this thing so that you can just, just, just afford the car. They bring down the monthly cost as much as they can. But if you don't know, you're actually going to pay double for that car at the end of the time. But, oh man, I just feel so good. I've worked hard. I deserve it. I don't have a problem with that. But man, we need control over our emotions. Or that, or that nice, Daniel, me don't, don't talk to the ladies, that nice jacket, you know, that, wow, if I can just buy that, you know, I, just, I, I have confidence, you know, it just makes me, you know, like, man, I, I can't even display what that looks like, but you know what I mean, and then you go buy it on, on, on you know, some credit, and you pay 18 months for the jacket, and a whole lot of interest in everything, man, short-term, short-term gain, long-term pain. So sometimes part of the self-control begins with, if you're a person that, that you respond to the advertising, because nowadays you don't even have to leave home, you can just sit in your own home and do shopping, you know, online. Then limit your advertising intake. It may be important for you to do that. There was a time in my life when I was a younger person and I was trying to struggle through these things where I recognized that whenever I went to the movies and I watched a movie, most movies, they portray these people with you know, the nice houses and the furniture, cars and everything. And it would, I would leave seeing something like that and it made me feel uncomfortable with what I didn't have or because I was a student, I had nothing. And it made me suddenly feel like mm, I was grumpy. And so I, I had to, for a year, I never went to go watch a movie. For no other reason than I needed to deal with some of the materialism in my own life. Now it may be that for you, you need to say, how do I limit the stirrings of my emotions? How do you limit impulse buying? How do you keep yourself from just buying stuff because it feels good or because it seems so nice? I think one of the best ways to do that is to work off a budget. As a family, we have worked off a budget all of our I started learning how to do budgets before I got married. And every month we work off a budget. And one of the major things it does for me is when I, it limits my temptations to spend money on things that, that just because it's nice. So you know how budgeting works, people do it different ways. But it's, you put on the one side, this is my income. Now, it's good to have that fixed. This is my income. Because then you can work from there. It doesn't help you say, you know, these are my expenses, so let's see what income I need. Because most of us, we can't do that. <laughs> you know? We have a life. We have to do certain things. And so this is my income. It's settled. That's what I got. This is my steady income. Then I can start breaking down. Now, how do I live within those means? How do I limit myself to that which I know is my provision? It's great if I want to trust God for more, but until I haven't, until I haven't got it, I don't spend it. I, I keep myself to this is the regular income. So our budget runs something like this. First is our tithe. Off. Then comes our saving different places, ways that we save. And then comes the different priorities. Comes listed down, the children's education, all of those things. It comes listed down right to the bottom, where, which are the things that we, if we need to, we can cut on. We, these are not the things we have to have. 
But we limit ourselves. This is our limited spending, and we agree upon that as a family. This is what we limit ourselves to. Because I simply believe in this principle, and it, it may be very simplistic, and I know it's very simplistic, and people that are financially very clever will tell me it's way too simplistic, but I'm a simple person. And I just simply believe in this. The only way to become financially better off is to spend less than you earn. Spend less than you earn. Surefire way. A surefire way to become poor is spend more than you earn. If you earn 10,000 rand a month and you spend 11,000 rand, you may look well, but you are on your way to trouble. If you earn 100,000 rand a month and you spend 110,000 rand a month, you may look like it's going well with you, but you are on your way to poverty. If you earn 500 rand a month and you spend 400 rand, you are becoming wealthy. It is just the way it is. Now, I know life throws stuff at us and there's surprises and unfortunate circumstances that we have to deal with, but that is not the new jacket, is not a crisis that you have to buy. Uh, you know, some of you may debate that, but you know, generally I think that's a good principle. So if you can learn these disciplines in our lives that says, I'm going to live below my means. Because the moment I do that, I create space for God to do amazing things. And last week we spoke about tithe, and that's one thing tithe does. It immediately brings you down at least to a 90% of what you earn. You're starting to live, it gives you that discipline. I believe personally that you should be saving at least 10% every month. Then there comes all your investments and your retirement and everything. I'm, not even to, I'm just talking about regular, off your expendable income, save 10% a month. If you have a home loan, pay it into your home loan. Because then you create space. It's terrible. And I've, I've experienced this in my early on in my life and I know many other people. You know when you live like this? Just nobody make waves. You know? I just have enough money. <laughs> And then the, then the Reserve Bank puts up the interest rate. <laughs> it's terrible to live like that. It puts pressure on every person, a family. It makes you do stupid things. Live like this. So if the waves come, I'm, I've got breathing room. I've got space. I just believe in that as a very important principle. So work off a budget. Limit your expenditures. Be accountable. You know, evil like mushrooms grow in the dark. And if your money is a secret thing and nobody knows what you're doing with your money, I'm not saying publish it on the internet, <laughs> but at least a husband and wife or children and parents or somebody in your life needs to have some sense of these are my finances, this is what I'm doing. Because my finances is not my finances, ultimately it's God's, and I want to honor God with everything I do. So there's an openness. There's an openness. Let me just read you a couple of verses, and then I'll move on to the next one. James 4 verse 3, you ask and you do not receive, because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions, your feelings, your emotions. 
1 Timothy 6, verse 10, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Pangs, that's a nice word. Pain. Pain. You're going to have pain in life. Jim Rowan said, Everyone must choose one of two pains. The pain of discipline or the pain of regret. But you're going to choose. This law goes into the second law for me, which is the law of patience. The law of patience. When it comes to financial well-being, it takes time. Proverbs 13, 11 says, Wealth from get-rich-quick schemes quickly disappears. Wealth from hard work grows over time. I know everybody, or every one of us wants to be Mark Zuckerberg. That in his dorm room at college, discovered Facebook and became a multi-billionaire in a very short space of time. I know it will be great to be Bill Gates. But can I tell you, praise God for that. But for most of us, and I probably even them will tell you it took some hard work. For most of us, it's one day on top of the other, working, trusting God, being faithful, being disciplined. If it's the old law, if it sounds too good to be true, it's too good to be true. Don't be a person that is led around by, oh, this is going to get me. Ooh, if I put money here, then this is going to... No. There's no substitute for patience when it comes to our finances. To practice patience is one of the fundamentals of the Western world's economy. And we are unfortunately dismantling that and breaking that down at a rapid rate. But we used to call it the, the Protestant work ethic. And the Protestant work ethic, which comes from obviously the Scriptures, was this idea that is very strong in Scripture, which is called deferred gratification. Which means I prepared to work now and receive the reward later. So every day that I work, I don't consume what I produce. I leave over for tomorrow. It's a Christian biblical understanding. You see, otherwise I eat every day what I produce. I eat today. Then how am I going to move forward? Then tomorrow I have to work harder and harder and harder and harder and harder. And I keep on just consuming every day what I'm producing. The, the principle of de deferred gratification says that if I, if, I, if I earn 10 today, I only consume what I need so that there's enough. If we could practice that better, our world would be in a much better state. We wouldn't have destroyed our planet as much as we've done already. But we're always pushing the boundary. Do you know that the scripture says that God rested on the seventh day? And that word in the Hebrew, Sabbath, that word doesn't only mean that God stopped, he, he rested. It also means he allowed creation to rest from his creative ability. He knew that there comes every Nature needs us to limit what we do. Otherwise, we overcreate, overextend. It's part of the fallen man's nature. So in us, there needs to be this limitation like I spoke earlier. And then take that and to say, I will save and invest. I will put. And that's not if I save and invest. <gasps> now I'm not trusting God. If I, eat every day what I can, if I eat every day what I get, then I'm trusting God. No. Remember, trusting God is putting Him first. And there's ways that I can say, okay, I put God first. I create space. I save. I invest. 
I put for the next. I look after tomorrow, today also. Heaven is this whole idea. The whole idea of heaven is the idea of deferred gratification. That we're not going to get our rewards on this planet. We're going to get it in eternity. So when we live financially on this planet, we live with an eternal view. We don't spend just for now. We spend for eternity. We have this value in us that I'm okay to do without today so that tomorrow there can be enough. And we must have that as a discipline in our lives. Matthew 6 verse 19 to 21 says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where the thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Our treasure is God and His eternal purposes. Therefore, it's not a problem for us to say, Lord, we take the long-term view. We play the long game. We play the long game when it comes to our financial understanding. The law of patience also helps us to avoid making debt. Now, there's good debt to make, necessary debt. Probably not many of us can buy a house or a car without having to make debt. But even there, we have to understand a house, when you buy a house and you make debt, that can actually work for you and it can increase in value and you can actually be better off at the end of the day if you do it well. If you buy a house well within your means, not that you're stretching yourself too thin. But you know, if you buy a car, that value drops. It's not, it's not an investment financially. It may be a family investment, a lifestyle investment, some other investment, and there you have to balance it off. But be careful. The last law that I want to mention is the law of generosity. Because otherwise, we can look at these first two laws of limits and patience and become these stingy people that hold on, very responsible. But there's a law of generosity. And it's almost like if the first two laws are like the law of gravity, they keep you. There's a law that comes and supersedes the law of gravity, and that's the law of aerodynamics. And the law of generosity comes. And it brings this spiritual other element into it that sort of you sometimes go, I don't understand how this works. It's almost against the other laws, but it's not against it. It works with it and elevates us to a higher place. And remember in Habakkuk, what we are considering in the faithful tough times, that God wants to take us to a higher place. And that higher place is through our discipline and our generosity. You see, and when you live a life of discipline, it gives you the ability to become generous. Because you create space. Worship guys, you can join me on stage if you don't mind. Proverbs 19 verse 7 says, Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will repay him for his deed. Proverbs 28 verse 22, A stingy man hastens after wealth and does not know that poverty will come upon him. John, 1 John 3, verse 17 to 18. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. We live in a, in a country where there are lots of needs. None of us have a lack of opportunity. The difficulty sometimes is to discern what is the right opportunity. Because sometimes we give money to people and it doesn't really help. Because we're just adding to their problems. Sometimes we have to stand still and say, 
How did you get into this financial problem in the first place? Now, sometimes it's no fault of the person. They were, they were part of the, they were just left out by the economy. They did disenfranchise the poor. There's no way, no matter how hard they work, they'll never get ahead in life. I'm not talking about that. But they, sometimes people have done silly things and they've got themselves into trouble. Now, if you just give them more money, they're just going to get further into trouble. Our role, again, is not to give money to people. It's discipling people, but we can use money to do that. And that's why I believe in the principle in Acts where that says, when they, when, you know, when, remember that story in Acts where nobody had need among them. What did the people do with the money? They sold their property, got money, and they gave it to the apostles. And the apostles looked after the needs of everybody. Now, in this church, we help people financially. We look after people's needs, but we do it in ways that we know will help and not make more problems. But our hearts need to be generous. We need to have hearts that are always ready and open to say, Lord, what can I give? When you speak to me, I'm, I want to give. I, I want to have that default position. I want to live in a way that my life is disciplined and I'm, I've limited my expenses so that I can make a positive contribution. So that I can help some child with their education. So that I can feed some people that I know. And praise God for the ministries we have in this church. For faith promise that you give through and that you, that you help people. And other ways that God may be leading us, that we help, that we're generous, that we're people that says, God is our provider. We have more than enough. No matter if the times are tough, we still want everybody to understand God is our provider. And therefore we can bless, we can give. We can, we can go the extra mile. I encourage you, have that generosity of spirit. But it's very hard to be generous. And I know some people aren't generous by nature. I know people, they'll give themselves into debt. And eventually you have to help them because they've helped everybody else, but not in a responsible, good way. But we want to be those people that through good stewardship, through good understanding, you know, financial pr principles, we've actually come to a place where we can say, thank God, I can help. Now let me do it in a responsible way. I'll tell you a story and then I'm finished. We had a project that we started through a nonprofit organization that Natasha and I'm part of. And, and in, a, in, a, in an informal settlement, uh, which was actually an illegal settlement. So the people in the settlement live, there's, there's very little. So one of the needs, one of the little needs that the community told us they have is the young kids need balls, soccer balls to play with. But they're always losing whatever balls they have, they lose them. They break them, they lose them. So we started a little thing where we had a bunch of soccer balls and we trusted it to a couple of people and they rented out the soccer ball. Five cents, 10 cents. You paid, you rent the soccer ball, you go play with it, you bring it back, you know, then you get given back uh, your money. And it, it was a little way of just you know, accountability of helping, just create some ideas for people just to work with, just, you know, so the community learned to look after theirs, and there was a little bit of a, then some church, bless their hearts, decided that they were going to bless that community, and they gave a thousand soccer balls to the community. Guess what happened? It killed our little ministry that we had, and within a couple of weeks, there were no balls left again. And sometimes in our good intention, we do things. 
but there's even lack of discipline in our generosity. But as a community of faith together, God has blessed us with people in this community that has wisdom, that has understanding, that knows, that work in these realities, that you can come alongside. It's always wonderful when you work with these corporates, like in another place that we work where in a township there's no water. But this one big corporate decided they want to give 100,000 rand to plant grass. And no matter how hard we work to try and convince them that it's no good they plant grass, there's no water, there's, the grass is going to die, they spent 100,000 rand planting grass. It wasn't a couple of months, grass is gone. There were other needs that could have been much better served. So even in our generosity, can we as a community come together, have the discipline, have the, the understanding how to make a difference, but it begins with generosity. Our God is not mammon. Our God is the King of kings and the Lord, and nothing will replace Him. He's first in everything. Won't you stand with me? Thank you, guys. I'm going to ask the team to just lead us in a song. I'm going to pray a prayer, and then they're going to lead us in a song. And as we sing this song, I'd like you to just say, Lord, here I am. Thank you that you are my God, and I put you first. And it may be that as I've shared just some of the things, please always remember, when we share these things, it's not to make anybody feel bad or go, ooh. Nobody checks up on you. But perhaps there's things that God has spoken to you this morning, and you've said, mm, I've let him go. I've, I've forgotten this discipline, or I've become a little bit out of shape in this area, or, or perhaps, you know, God's been speaking to me about being generous, and I've not done that. Whatever. Just put your heart before the Lord this morning. Because He wants you to have the joy of serving one master. Not the stress and the pain of trying to keep two masters happy. It's impossible. Let's close our eyes. Lord, we just put our hearts before you today in Jesus' name. Thank you for being our Father. Thank you that you've not come to make our lives more difficult, but you've come to make our lives successful. You've come to give us life and life in abundance. Lord, I, I remove a spirit of heaviness from your people today in Jesus' name. And I pray for hope, for joy, for well-being, Lord. For grace to come into, and, and right now for the Lord to stand next to you and to say to you, you can do it. You can do it. I'm with you. You're not going to do this on your own. You're not pulling yourself up by your bootstraps. This is not about you just being disciplined. This is about me working in you the spirit of self-control and of discipline. Just give over to me. Surrender to me. So as we sing together now, just surrender your heart. We're going to end the service at this point, And if you want to go, you're free to go. But we always want, just want to have a time where we just be with the Lord for a moment. If you need prayer, let us pray with you. If you want to be baptized, we've got baptism taking place today. You just come to the pastors, they'll help you to know where you need to go. But if you want prayer this morning, if you're sick for your finances, for your family, just come and we'll pray with you. But let's just be in the Lord's presence for a moment right now.